Welcome to The Markets, Dateline, Chicago, Illinois, Friday, May 22nd, 2020. Hello again, Orion Samuelson with a few other guests here with you for our weekly get-together to take a look at what happened in the marketplace this week. And we look at all the markets from Wall Street to the Board of Trade to the Mercantile Exchange, and we cover some of the stories in between. But again, this week, the stories dominated by the reaction to the pandemic, the coronavirus situation that continues to impact the markets of every kind. So a lot of what I talk about, I'll tell you, was ha- occurred because of the pandemic. But let me start with the headlines as we look at today. Oh, and let me say at the outset that uh, this is a nervous time for traders in all of the markets because we're going into a three-day holiday weekend. And as quickly as activities unfold here in this country, as well as other countries being out of the marketplace without an ability to uh, do trading for three days is nervous time because the markets are closed in the U.S. until next Tuesday morning. But as we look at today, Wall Street ended mixed in a mostly tame finish to a week of strong gains as investors gauge the China-U.S. trade tensions and amid ongoing uncertainty about the pace of economic recovery from the coronavirus. President Trump's warning on Thursday that the U.S. would react strongly to China's plan for a national security law in Hong Kong raised concerns over Washington and Beijing's possibly reneging on their phase one trade deal. But late in the session today, stocks moved lower after the U.S. Commerce Department said it was adding 33 Chinese companies and other institutions to an economic blacklist for human rights violations and to address U.S. national security concerns. The increasing rhetoric between Washington and Beijing has knocked Wall Street off multi-month highs, although the three main indices still all moved higher, about 3% higher for the week, fueled by optimism about an eventual coronavirus vaccine and the easing of virus-related curbs. One analyst said, we still think COVID-19 concerns are in the driver's seat, but we could see U.S.-China relations move back into the front seat. U.S. stock exchanges, of course, closed this coming Monday for the Memorial Day holiday. The NASDAQ index is down about 5% from the February 19th record high, helped in recent weeks by gains in Microsoft, Amazon, and other heavyweight companies seen coming out of the economic downturn stronger than their smaller rivals. Real estate led the S&P 500 sector indices higher, while energy dropped as oil prices sank about 3%. 
and a drop in Chevron also weighed on the Dow. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 8.96 points, or four hundredths of a percent, ending the day and the week at 24,465. The S&P 500 gained nearly seven points, or a quarter of a percent, to 29.55, and the NASDAQ Composite added 39 points, to end the week at 93.24. Mixed earnings from retailers Walmart, Best Buy, and Home Depot earlier in the week showed online shopping gaining traction with the lockdown orders, a trend that could damage brick-and-mortar players already feeling pressure from Internet rivals. Today, uh, Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba reported better-than-expected quarterly profit, but its shares tumbled. Smaller rival Pinduoduo-listed uh, shares surged after the company posted upbeat results. The uh, NVIDIA stock climbed after forecasting strong quarterly revenue as demand surges for its data center chips KKR rose after India's reliance industry said the private equity firm would buy a two and a third percent stake in digital unit and the data analytics software maker Splunk jumped after it said it expects more demand for its cloud services. So taking a look again at uh, the marketplace today, Uh, Before we look ahead, though, let's take a look at what's ahead for this week, the holiday-shortened trading week. Uh, Markets closed on Monday for Memorial Day. On Tuesday, a Commerce Department report expected to show new home sales in April likely fell 25.8% to 495,000 units. And that would be down from 627,000 units in March. And separately, the Conference Board's Consumer Confidence Index for May likely to rise to 68 following a reading of 86.9 in April. Building permits data for April also scheduled for release on Tuesday. And the New York Stock Exchange will partially reopen the trading floors at its 11 Wall Street building. They have been closed since March 20th when the market was forced to go all electronic due to the coronavirus pandemic. So let's look at the rest of the week on what we can expect on the U.S. economic calendar. A second estimate next week on Thursday expected to show the U.S. economy probably contracted 5% in the first quarter. Durable goods data for April is expected to show an 18% drop on the Thursday report, following a 14% fall in March. And on the same day, initial claims data for state unemployment benefits for the week ended May 18th, likely to show a drop to a to an adjusted 2 million from 2,438,000 in the week before. 
Then we get a look at pending home sales. Uh, data likely to show a decline of 15% following a 20.8% drop in March. And on Friday, a Commerce Department report expected to show personal consumption expenditures fell 12% in April following a 7.5% fall in March. Personal income likely to have dropped 6% in April. This after a 2% drop in March. University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Index for May likely to show a final reading of 74 in the report due out Friday. That would follow a reading of 73.7 in early May. U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell will appear in a webcast discussion with former Vice Chair Alan Blinder on Friday. And uh, separately on the same day, uh, Chief Powell scheduled to participate via webcast in Griswold Center for Economic Policy Studies. The uh, report will be headlined a conversation with Jerome Powell. Wednesday, ExxonMobil shareholders will vote on measures that include splitting the CEO and board roles, reporting lobbying and disclosing climate risks as the largest U.S. oil producer holds a virtual annual shareholder meeting. Salesforce.com expected to post an increase in first quarter revenue on Thursday as more companies are turning to its software at a time when the virus has hastened the move to an online workplace. And then separately, HP Incorporated expected to report second quarter results on Wednesday. Dollar General Corporation expected to post a jump in first quarter same-store sales on Thursday, again because of the pandemic. Dell Technologies on Thursday expected to report a decline in first quarter revenue as the coronavirus-induced lockdown shut down factories and restricted supply, in addition to a fall in consumer demand for goods. Dollar Tree, like rival Dollar General, expected to post a rise in first quarter same-store sales on Thursday, again, the pandemic. However, concerns remain around its profit margins due to the higher costs of operating stores during the health crisis. Ralph Lauren Corporation on Wednesday expected to uh, swing to a fourth quarter loss after it was forced to shut stores globally due to the COVID-19 pandemic, investors will also be interested in knowing if the company can maintain prices of its high-end apparel and accessories or would have to offer discounts to move excess inventories. Occidental Petroleum shareholders on Friday get their first say on the oil company's troubled acquisition of Anadarko Petroleum when they vote on issuing shares and warrants to Berkshire Hathaway for helping to finance the $38 billion deal. Department store chain Nordstrom's first quarter results on Thursday probably will show the impact of the pandemic as business halted for weeks 
forcing Nordstrom's to permanently close 16 of its stores, and the focus will be on the management's comments on recovery and strength of the retail market. A decision on a key legal aspect of the trial over whether Huawei Technologies' chief financial officer can be extradited to the United States from Canada, that will be announced on Wednesday. Citigroup chief executive Michael Corbett will speak to the investors at Bernstein's 36th annual Strategic Decisions Conference on Friday. And uh, then on Tuesday, Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis president uh, will participate in a virtual conference. All of the conferences that we have, whether they're with Federal Reserve regional governors or corporate executives generally taking place by the technology that we have available today. And then warehouse club operator Costco Wholesale Corporation Thursday expected to report an increase in third quarter profit and revenue helped by strong demand for frozen foods, meat, and produce ahead of the coronavirus-led lockdowns. And investors will be on the lookout for Costco's comments on store traffic and sales in recent weeks. So a lot of information coming out, but it's mostly by virtual technology in in the uh, next week. But indeed, there is a lot going on that uh, will be involving quite a few of the executives of some of the uh, top companies here in the United States. And we've uh, talked a lot and heard a lot about the uh, unemployment situation. A report from the Labor Department this week that unemployment rates rose and total employment fell in all 50 U.S. states and the District of Columbia in April as efforts to contain the pandemic focused and forced businesses to close across the United States. The department's Bureau of Labor Statistics said 43 states set record high levels of unemployment last month, with the highest being in Nevada. The uh, state of Nevada, probably because of the casino situation and the gambling income being shut down because of the coronavirus, uh, put Nevada number one on unemployment. Talking about uh, the challenge for companies, Hertz Corporation. The car rental firm said it's preparing to file for bankruptcy after failure to reach a standstill agreement with its top spenders. That, according to the Wall Street Journal, the company which operates the Hertz, Dollar, and Thrifty car rental uh, brands had been holding talks with creditors after missing significant car lease payments in April. Forbearance and waiver agreements on the missed payments were set to expire this week. And uh, the company has more than $18 billion of debt and roughly 38,000 employees worldwide as of the end of 2019. Well, that's just touching on some of the Wall Street activities. 
So uh, we're going to take a look at the agricultural market situation. We have Mike Pearson standing by with Joe Camp of AgriVisor to take a look at the agricultural markets when we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. We've got to dig into these markets, and to help us make sense of everything, we've got Joe Camp, who is the manager of AgriVisor out in Bloomington, Illinois. Joe, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Glad to join you. I think right off the bat, we've got to talk about the planting progress broadly. When we look across the Corn Belt, USDA said as of last Sunday, we were 80% planted. When you look ahead to this next week, how many, how much of an advance do you expect to see in planted acres? We really have to dive into those numbers and look at the individual states to get the fullest picture of planning progress for the country. Because you look at a number like 80% for corn as of last Sunday, and that's a rapid pace. Relatively speaking, we know about an easy start for many producers across the Midwest, particularly in states like Iowa, also in states like uh, our own here in Illinois. But we can start to get outside of these I states and outside of the South, which generally speaking had an okay planting season, a little bit uh, difficult to start with a wet early growing season. Uh, But let's keep in mind, of course, for what's gone well for some is a trouble spot still for others. Uh, Northern Plains, the upper Midwest, North Dakota, Minnesota. We could also talk about cold, wet conditions that are still persistent in the Eastern Belt too. So it's split board. For now, mostly good progress. Joe, when do you think the trade is going to kind of write off those acres in North Dakota? we got 3.8 million acres up there. Of those, 20% are planted. Similar story in the northeast corner of South Dakota, northwest Minnesota facing similar issues. Does the trade start to write those acres off, that 97 million uh, acre planting intentions? Yeah, some of that penciling already being done right now to suggest that overall corn acres could be reduced by about 3 million from earlier projection. The current government uh, prediction about 97 million for corn acres. We could see corn acres drop at the expense of soybeans. If we uh, have a tougher time getting corn in, we'll still look at later plantings for the oil seed, thinking that the price spread still relatively supports planting beans. And so we should get that shift maybe about two to three million acres away from corn and over into soybeans as it stands now. We'll see about weather here on out. Well, that's on the supply side. On the demand side, I was back in Iowa. That state is pretty well open. Had the chance to get a haircut. Felt like a new man. But I tell you, folks are getting out and about. Are we starting to see a drawdown in gasoline supplies? Is the ethanol picture starting to look a little more bright as you look ahead into the future? So important for the grain markets when we talk about that domestic source of demand and ethanol. And it's been the Achilles heel for the market for some time, given that we are talking about falling oil prices, even negative oil futures, of course, uh, not long ago, putting pressure on ethanol production at 1.50% reduced was ethanol production here in the U.S. But 
for the past four weeks, we've been ramping up that production and seeing uh, inventories come down. As you allude to, uh, we have consumers driving again, the, recon- the economy reopening, but also it warming up and producers, consumers, everybody wanting to get out. Joe, talking about soybeans there, we have not seen the surge in exports that a lot of folks were anticipating as phase one of this Chinese deal were signed. Where do you see the bean export market headed here in the near term? Very far behind our sales to China relative to that phase one trade deal that was put into place earlier this year. And so we're revisiting that. Right now, the major topic of markets, I would say this morning, being that President Trump is challenging the Chinese on trade, still related to coronavirus and and issues uh, with recent response and the back and forth nature of the two presidents, Trump and Xi. uh, Still some strife there that we're seeing play itself out in markets. But we have this taste of Chinese buying, so there's still that possibility if we can iron out the relationship that we do see an increase in soybean purchases because China certainly could start to ramp up uh, if they are uh, going to make that effort to fulfill those promises. Now, Joe, we've certainly seen some Chinese buying on the pork side. Before we get into livestock, I want to pick your brain. Midweek last week, we saw the wheat market go nuts. We had a 15-cent rally, one of the biggest moves to the upside since uh, mid-March. What happened in Chicago wheat? So you're talking about a confluence of factors with one, will they, won't they, as we always get this year on Black Sea exports and whether or not they're going to be restricted because of the governments there, mostly Russia, we're talking about wanting to protect the economy against domestic food price inflation. So that's one. They put the export restrictions on. That turns out to be not that friendly of a market influence. What's maybe more so friendly uh, were the weather conditions, first drying conditions in Europe and the same thing in the plains. What we saw, though, after that rally was a quick reduction in premium uh, that uh, followed those rains in Kansas and in Oklahoma here recently. So still going to watch that wheat market. think we can do more trading and possibly into China uh, to relate back to that very important export question. Well, now, as we look at demand, uh, we have seen some pretty crazy volatility when it comes to the livestock markets, cattle market in particular. We are currently trading the futures 22 to $25 anywhere under the cash trade in the June contract. When do you see that convergence starting to happen? So big dislocations, that's been the theme when we talk about volatility in in the meat markets. In the pork market, we can talk about an inability of supply to get to the consumer, unfortunately, at the same time when export demand is ramping up into China. And that's why, even though we might not be shipping the whole beans, we've been processing them at a very good clip. On the cattle side, we're looking at that big spread between the futures and the cash markets because of still an existing dislocation, uh, the processing capacity down, still a coronavirus impact. We think those two markets converge, but part of it will have to be some confidence returning into producers wanting to use those features as a hedge. Get that confidence returning. That is the story in everything. Joe Camp, manager of AgriVisor, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks so much, Mike. 
Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. As we look more closely at the agricultural community during this pandemic, there are programs coming out of Washington, D.C. to assist America's farmers and ranchers and agricultural producers. The uh, With many rural businesses and agricultural producers facing financial challenge as a result of COVID-19, the Department of Agriculture this week announced several programs. Among them, it will make available up to $1 billion in loan guarantees for these entities through Farm Service Agency loan programs and through the USDA Business and Industry Cares Act program. That's a new program that provides working capital loans to help rural businesses prevent, prepare for, or respond to the effects of the pandemic. Under these changes, the agricultural producers that are not eligible for FSA programs will be eligible for CARES Act program loans, and additionally, USDA said it will provide 90% guarantees on CARES Act program loans, and it will extend the maximum term for working capital loans to 10 years. It will also set the application and guarantee fee at 2% of the loan. It will accept appraisals completed within two years of the loan application date and not require discounting of collateral for working capital loans. Rural businesses that were operational as of February 15th of this year may take advantage of the CARES Act program loans. So my suggestion is you talk to the people at your Farm Service Agency office. Loan applications will be considered in the order they are received, though USDA noted that it may give priority to certain projects if the demand for funds exceeds availability. And USDA will host two upcoming webinars for borrowers and lenders on the CARES Act program. The first webinar will take place on May 27th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Second webinar will be held on June 3rd at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. There was an earnings report this week, too, that uh, caught the attention of farmers. Deer and Company forecast a sharp decline in full-year profit as farmers and ranchers struggle to bring their goods to market because of the um, corona-led restrictions, crushing demand for equipment like harvesters and tractors. The uh, shares of deer rose 3% uh, late this week in light uh, trading after the company topped quarterly estimates for profit as demand for farm equipment fell less than feared and the company kept 
a high lid on costs. The company typically sees a pickup in sales of farm equipment after January as farmers start purchasing equipment to plant fields, and that likely helped uh, demand for farm machinery hold up better than the sales of uh, construction and forestry equipment. Farm machinery sales dropped uh, 18% to a total of $5,970,000,000, while construction and forestry equipment sales dropped by a quarter to $22.25 billion. But during all this, uh, we still find America's farmers doing what they can to help people who are finding higher prices at the grocery stores, not necessarily because of the agricultural side, but because of the close of many of the meat processing plants that have cut into the supply and helped raise prices. So late this week, Dairy Management and its checkoff partner, Pizza Hut, join forces to give away half a million pizzas to the 2020 high school graduating class of high schools across the country. Marilyn Hershey, a Pennsylvania dairy farmer and chair of Dairy Management, Inc., which uh, manages the National Dairy Checkoff, said, We are excited to partner with Pizza Hut to help high school seniors and their families celebrate this special milestone. And we say thank you. And we join in that celebration for the graduates from this year's class of 2020. We're out of time. Happens every week about this time. But we thank you for joining us. And we hope you'll be with us next week when we come your way with the markets. (music) 